Welcome back to You Ask For It, a podcast where Pastor Steve and myself walk through many different topics. Sometimes it's the questions that you send to us. Sometimes, like we've done in the past, it's walking through a doctrinal statement, what we believe. Now what we're doing is walking through something very practical of just questions for the believer. Um, We've talked about questions like, what is truth? Um, We've talked about the last week, the question, is the Bible true? And today we're going to move just a little past that and ask this question, how do I study the Bible? You know, that goes together because if you're convinced the Bible is true, then you ought to want to really study it. Absolutely, absolutely, because in there is found truth, right? And you want that truth to go in your life. Uh, I want to read you a quote from two people that have written on this very subject. First is Norman Geisler. He says, when Christians are asked why they have a hard time reading the Bible, 64% say they're too busy while another 80% said they don't understand the Bible. These statistics are alarming, but there's one that is even more so. National studies consistently reveal that roughly 95% of Christians have never been properly trained in how to study Hmm. the Bible. This means only 5% of all Christians know how to appropriately study the Bible. That's why we're doing this study. Absolutely. That's a problem. If only 5% of Christians know how to do this well, then, then it's going to be hard for them to grow in their faith without knowing the word. And then this quote by Adrian Rogers. A wise man once said, These hath God married and no man shall part. Dust on the Bible and drought in the heart. If you don't know love, if you don't know, love, understand, practice, and obey the word of God, I can tell you without stutter, stammer, or apology that you are not a victorious Christian. What what does he mean by that right there? Uh, He means that if you're not regularly in the word, you're not living that victorious Christian life. That if... Mm. I heard somebody say a Bible that is falling apart is usually owned by somebody who is not. Mm. And so we've got, we've got to make sure the Bible is regularly getting into our lives in order to live the Christian life. Mm. Well, we've got, and we've given a handout sheet to those who are here tonight. And the first point we have as a tip on how to study the Bible is to have a game plan. And l- let me explain this. Um, I'm, I'm going to not advocate the way my wife does it. My wife goes through the Bible. It, it takes more than a year because she doesn't have a, specific guide for how fast she will do it, but she starts in Genesis and goes through Revelation. But what my wife does is she does that. We have an iPad, and so she has her translation on one half of the iPad, and she has commentaries on the other. So she's actually reading it and and reading through Wearsby and other folks uh, as she reads through it. That gets you through Leviticus and places like that when you're you're going through what we would consider more the drier parts. But she tells me all the time, she'll look up and say, I love this Old Testament. Well, you're going to, if you read through the Bible, you're going to spend a lot more time in the Old Testament than the New, because there's a lot more Old Testament. I do some reading of the Old Testament, but basically what I do for my own soul is alternate between epistles and between gospels. So I'll read several epistles because they're shorter, and then I'll pick a gospel and I'll read through the gospel. And so that's my game plan. Right now, I'm in 2 Corinthians, so this morning... I finished up the last half of chapter five. Um, I'd done the first half the, the day before. And, and once again, I also have um, some guides. I have the, the CSB study Bible and the ESV study Bible on my iPad. So I'll read the text. Then I'll read the, the notes that come along with that to help me understand what I'm reading. So you need to have a game plan. Do you, do you have a particular game plan you use? I've done about every system there is at this at this point in my life. I've been really studying. I've been really reading the Bible since I was 18 years old, and I've done the entire Bible in a year. I've done that multiple times. I've done the chronological Bible, where you you literally go you know in chronological order through the scriptures. 
Um, I've done a three-year Bible reading plan. Um, what I've kind of settled in on right now at this point in my life is because I've read it multiple times, I've really just tried to slow down actually. Hey. And um, realizing, Lord willing, I'm going to have a lot of years to read the scriptures. And so I've thought, what's the point if I read it all really, really fast and then the end of it, I don't remember any of it that I've read. I right? think it <laughs> takes six chapters a day to read the Bible in a year. Yeah. So if you're going to read six chapters, how much of that will you soak in? So I think the purpose of, of your Bible study is to grasp the truth that's there. I had two times in college that I was, I was, this, I was trying to read through the Bible uh, one year. And this whole six chapters a day thing, there were two days in a row that I woke up late, had to get straight to class, and so I didn't get to read. And I found myself on Saturday, I had to read eight. It was like, no, it was, uh, what, six times three, 18 chapters of the Bible that one day. And by the end of it, I was like, God, please just help me finish this one, Lord. I need you. Lord, please. I just don't. Yeah. And I don't think that really makes the soul any better. Yeah. It, it, was, it was accomplishing yeah. to check it off on my list. But the main thing you don't it. want to do is open up your Bible and put your finger down and go from here and yonder. Yes. You want to have a consistent way to walk through a book of the Bible. Well, I actually think at one point in your life, it is worth reading through the entire Bible from cover to cover because you begin to really see the story of the scriptures, God's overarching plan of, the, of redemption in the Bible that maybe you, you're, you're not going to see that unless you begin to do that. Now, it can be difficult, but um, you might get perspectives on Bible stories that you've never had before because you took the time to work through it. And that's one thing I do love about that. But now at a point where I want to slow down and really be able to enjoy the scriptures. The second uh, piece of advice we've got on how to study the Bible is to pray. In Psalm 119, verse 18, David prayed this, Open my eyes so that I might contemplate <clears throat> wondrous things from your instruction. And many of you have memorized that verse in the King James, Open thou my eyes that I might behold wondrous things in thy law. We're using the CSB, which is a new translation. The Baptist sponsored it. And the word that's translated law is Torah. But it means far more than just laws to obey. I, I like what the CSB did. They have basically said that when you're reading the Old Testament, when you read the first five books, there's as much instruction on how to live as laws, as do's and don'ts. And so you get, uh, so, so it says, open my eyes so I can read the instructions I'm going to find in this book. The Bible is not like other books. God is the author, and you only get it when the author shows up and explains it to you. So I think it's good to pray as you go get ready to study the Bible. Because it's really a closed book unless the Holy Spirit teaches you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. When I went to Sanford, we had a godly professor there. And he was beloved all over the state. His name was Dr. Brian. And people would say, if you go to Sanford, you're going to get to take the Bible courses with Dr. Brian. And everybody looked. And I did. I, I took everything he offered. It was such a a wonderful experience to sit under him as he taught the Bible. Well, there was a girl who had been raised in a Baptist church, and she went to this Baptist college, and she signed up for his uh, New Testament survey class. And everybody in there was going, wow, wow, wow. And she was going, I can't stay awake. This is so dead. This is so boring. So she made an appointment with Dr. Brian, and she began to talk to him and said, I don't get this. Everybody here is getting something out of this. This is such a cold, dead book to me. What's the matter? And so as he began to ask her questions, he began to talk to her about her salvation experience, found out she'd never been born again. So he shared the gospel with her, led her to Christ, and she became someone whom the Holy Spirit now indwells. 
At the end of the course, she, she walked up to him and said, this is the best course I've ever had in my life. So pray. Let the Holy Spirit do the teaching. A third, third thing you can do if you're wanting to study the Bible is have a pen and a paper with you. Uh, when we read these words from Adrian Rogers, he says, and may I suggest that as you ponder the words, the word of God, you keep a pad and a pencil handy. I always read the Bible with a pen or a pencil in my hand. Why? Because I'm expecting to receive something. If you're doing, if you're not doing that, it tells me that you're not expecting to receive anything. If you're expecting to receive something, you should be ready to write it down. You say, I'll remember it. Well, I hope you do, but the weakest ink is better than the best memory. Hey, I like That's that. good. It's such a simple thing to get a pad and a pencil when you open the Bible. Um, you pray over it, you ponder it, and then you get ready for God to speak to you. I've, and I've adopted the same thing. I like to read the Bible very early in the morning. Not at that point, usually, coffee has not fully just set itself into my mind. And what I've found is, is that if I do not have a pen in my hand when I'm reading the Bible, I'm going to, like, come back to my senses five minutes later and realize that I don't remember anything I just read. The pen I keep down near the page and it keeps my eyes locked into what I'm reading. And then also I go in with this expectation, God, I wanna know you and I wanna see you in your scriptures today. And so what I use the pen for is when I come to those points in the scriptures that just stick out to me, I automatically either it's an underline or it's a circle or it is something written in the side. In fact, I have my ESV study Bible with me right here. And I got this Bible when I was 18 years old. My parents bought it for me for my birthday. And I brought it down a minute ago to show Pastor Steve. And there is, it's, it's almost hard to read at this point because it's been read through so many times now that almost everything is underlined at this point. You know, I ran out of one, so now I'm underlining the other thing. And, uh, but it just shows where there's been different things that have blessed me at those times. When I was with the Navigators, they gave a simple definition. They said the difference between <coughs> reading the Bible and studying the Bible is a pen. Well, that's pretty simple. The difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible is a pen. Um, the fourth thing is <coughs> determine what kind of literature you're reading in the Bible. The Bible is different than any other book. It's not like Gone with the Wind that you start with page one and end with Scarlet's famous words to Rhett Butler at the end. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not that. You, it's, it's, you don't, it's, it's full of all kinds of different types of literature. In Psalms, you have poetry, uh, you have prophecy, you have proverbs, you have biography. And what you need to do is determine what am I reading right now? Because in order to be able to interpret it, you've got to know what kind of literature you're using right now. I, in my Fruitland class today, I began to teach my students about that. When people say, I take the Bible literally. Well, in the Psalms, it says, the trees clap their hands. You know, it says, you know they, they praise God, the trees clap their hands. Well, I believe the Bible, so I believe that literally hands came out of the trees and they clap. No, that's poetry. That's the kind of thing you say in poetry. And so when I'm reading the Psalms, I don't believe that literally trees got hands and clapped them. I believe that that's simply a way of saying that as the Trees are there showing, displaying the glory of God as they wave in the wind. That's, that's, that's another way that God gets himself glory. Another thing you'll see in the Psalms, it'll say, God is my rock. It's right. not meaning that he's holding a rock around and saying, this is God. He's speaking yeah. of symbolism of that way. You can't do it literally on this. Uh, Adrian Rogers said this. When you read the Bible, use your sanctified common sense. Don't just jump into the middle of a book, a chapter in the middle of a book somewhere with no plan. He said, you've got to see there's different uh, forms of speech. See poetry as poetry, prophecy as prophecy, teaching as teaching, promise as promise, proverb as proverb. He says this, 
If you try to turn the Proverbs into promises, you'll lose your religion. The Proverbs are, uh, Proverbs are not promises, they're Proverbs. What's a Proverbs? A proverb is a general principle that general, when generally applied, brings a general result. For instance, the Bible says, if you do these things, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy. Take Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way which he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. A lot of people say, I'm holding God to that. But what that is, is that's a proverb. When you look out and you see people who raise their kids in the right way, they generally hold to it. But it's not a promise that you claim. That's a proverb. It's, it's saying, this is what you see in the world. But you've also got symbolism in the Bible. Adrian talked about the fact that in Revelation, there's a dragon <coughs> who is so tall that he takes his tail and sweeps a third of the stars from the sky. And what people say, well, I believe in taking the Bible literally. So there literally is a dragon out there that has a tail so big, it'll sweep one third of the stars. Have you used a telescope lately? That'd have to be a mighty big dragon. Well, Revelation doesn't leave you standing there. You're obviously, you can see, obviously, that's Satan. And he's taken, the, it says the stars are going to be the angels. One third of the angels went with him in the rebellion. So you've got to sit here and say, I'm in symbolic prophecy. So I've got to determine that that's what I'm looking at right there. All right. Uh, fifth thing you can do is to think through what you're reading. Meaning the, the way the Bible says this is to meditate on something. To meditate, to chew on it, to have it in your mind. I'll give you a couple of scriptures that point to this. Joshua 1, verse 8, says, This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. And then Psalm 1, one of my favorite scriptures that really helps us understand what it means to meditate on the Lord. It says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. See, the goal is not just that we read the word, but the word to be implanted within us, and it becomes something that we think about, that we that we chew on often because as we are thinking upon and chewing upon the word, it means that we're thinking upon and chewing upon his word, right? And so it's putting more of him inside of us and less of us inside of us. Well, I mentioned I'm doing Second Corinthians and it, and it took me two days. This is personal, not, not for preparation for sermons. But I did half of chapter one morning. I did the next half, the next chapter, because I'm going through it, trying to make sure I'm grasping what each line says and thinking about how it applies when I was with the navigators, they used Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding to show us how we can take one phrase and get a lot of meaning just by emphasizing different words. So let me just take that, that, that memorized line. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does it mean to trust in? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's not a matter of having great faith. I've got to have faith in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. There's one who is the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. He is Lord over all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You, you see how you do that? You, just, you go through there and, and you think through these lines, and there's so much that you'll get as you meditate on it. 
It's good. Now, we have, let's go to number six. We have two more left. Number six is to use a study Bible to bridge the gaps. John MacArthur states that there are four gaps that need to be bridged when studying the Bible. First, he said there's a language gap. Obviously, we are speaking in English. We read the Bible in English, but that's not the language the Bible was written in. It's written in Greek. It's written in Hebrew. And oftentimes, what a translator will do is do the best they possibly can to translate the words as clearly as they can, but it's hard. There's words in the Greek that we just don't have the English word for. And so a study Bible can help you see those words. Second, a culture gap. You should know that the culture of the first century is very different than the culture that we are in today. And so we can't necessarily interpret the Bible through our culture. We need to do it through their culture. Third, a geography gap. Um, we must allow the, the geography of the Bible to be a roadmap to understanding um, the truth. So like but when you go to Israel, that, that really comes alive. Yes. It? When you begin to really see the Bible with your eyes, for instance, when when it says that Jesus went out into the wilderness, we think of Western North Carolina with trees and a forest everywhere. There's, there's no trees or forest over there in Israel. You know, he's going to the desert. He's going to the, the rocky places when, he's, when he is there. Um, and so that's why our understanding the geography of where this is being written is important. And then finally, a history gap. Um, it's, you need to gain a historical perspective that will give you more appreciation for the people and the events. Understand what was going on then to help you understand why Jesus wrote the Bible. So the way talk he did. to us about study Bibles. So yeah, we've got a couple. I brought a couple of study Bibles, which could be great tools if you really want to study the Word and, and and get some of this background. The first one I'm holding is a CSB study Bible. Um, the way I was describing it earlier is it, it functions in three ways. One, it's a great tool to learn from. It works as like a workout uh, afterwards. It's so heavy. <laughs> Or a weapon, if somebody tries to take you down, you can throw it at them. It's, it's a big thing. But what's great about this one, this is the, um, what is the what is holy this one land called? Study Bible. This is a Holy Land Study Bible. I know everybody can see exactly what I'm holding on this page right here in front of you. But what's so cool about this Bible is a couple pages over, you've got literally the pictures of the trees in the Garden of Gethsemane to help you see the area where Jesus was when he's sweating drops of blood for his crucifixion. The page I was just on, is showing you the method of crucifixion that the Romans had. And so what's cool about a study Bible is that when you're reading, you can go to these things and get a deeper understanding of what's going on. I'll tell you what I would recommend this for. If you have been to Israel, and many of our people have been, get the Holy Land Study Bible, because that'll bring your trip back as you read there and you see all these pictures. But the CSB Study Bible is the more traditional type study Bible, and you've got the ESV Study Bible. And just show, just show them how much. Yeah. See, there's, there's scripture up there, and there's just about as much explanation below. I don't know if they can see that really well from here. Oh, yeah, they, too, they, they no, see it all. They see it all. There's a line right here, and the scripture is here. Yeah, and so everything under here is basically notes on the verses. And so if you're trying to figure out what are they, what's going on, for most of these verses, there is a um, description of it. And then one of my favorite parts, if you go, I'll turn right here. Say you want to read the book of Titus, and you don't know much about the book of Titus. Before you even get to the scripture, there is a whole section about the author, the date, the theme, the purpose of this book, a timeline, when this would have been written, um, the literary features of it, the history of salvation present in here, a map of where this would have been, where this would have been. So that's what can make a study Bible like this so good to have with you if you want to read I would the Bible. say this. If you're going to be a serious Bible student, you need to get a good study Bible. And I would say the two best out there are either the ESV study Bible or the CSB study Bible. But it'd be well worth the expense to have there. Now, one, one last thing we're going to talk about is if you're going to be a good student of the Bible, you've got to apply it. James 1 says this in verse 25, the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, 
He is not a, and it's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. Uh, there, there were a group of Christians in Korea that were memorizing the Sermon on the Mount, and they seemed to have done it so quickly and so easily. And so somebody said, how did you do it? He said, well, we memorized a verse, and then we went and did it. And then we memorized the next verse, then we went and did it. And it's amazing how if you do it, it makes it sink in. Um, but here's some questions that are standard questions. Adrian Rogers gave these questions. But six questions you can ask of every passage you're reading. Is there a promise to claim? Is there a lesson to learn? Is there a blessing to enjoy? Is there a command to obey? Is there a sin to avoid? And is there a new thought to carry with me? So do all of the good work, but make sure you apply it when you, when you finished your study. Well, we hope this is going to be a helpful podcast for you as you're trying to learn how to be a better student of the Bible so you can know God more through his word and spend more time with him. Um, if you have any questions about this, our stuff is always on the You Ask For website. You can reach out to Pastor Steve and myself. We'd love to give you some resources. Go and check out that CSB Study Bible or the ESV Study Bible and start using it in your daily walk. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be with you again next week.